Christina Perez. I'm in 201, and um, I'm here to give a testimony and, well, more of an encouragement. And I have a word today, and it's Galatians 6, 9. It says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I just want to encourage you guys to keep doing good. And doing good is, is staying in prayer, praying for your family, for those if you're hoping for salvation, for your family, your friends, your neighbors. Uh, don't give up in praying for them. Don't give up in loving them or showing them uh, God's love. And, uh, you know, just be obedient when God puts something in your heart to, uh, whether it be sowing into your friend's life or your family or a stranger, give unto them. Um, you know, uh, Jesus said that when you're feeding the poor, you're, you're giving to, to him. So keep doing good. Don't give up. There's a harvest for all of us. There's a harvest out there for us to reap souls. Uh, so just don't give up in doing good. All right, you guys? Woo! God bless. I'm just going to close out in prayer real quickly, all right? Uh, Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for just uh, this new time, this new season in our life and, and Metro Praise and, and, and the kingdom of God, Lord God. And I just pray that, Lord, give us the strength, Lord God. If we feel like right now we're about to faint, Lord God, for those that are feeling like they're about to faint, God, I pray that you give them the strength, Lord God, to not give up, Lord God, to keep going, Lord God. Lord, you have good things for us, Lord God. Lord, you have plans to prosper us and not to harm us, Lord God. And I just pray for just your blessing, your joy upon my family right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Come on, put your hands together. Help me sing. We're giving it all. We're giving it all away, away. We're giving it all to go away. Come on, sing it out. We're giving it all away, away. We're giving it all to go away. Come on, sing it, the Father. In the Father, there is freedom, there is hope in the name that is Jesus. Lay your life down and give it all now. We are found in the love of a Savior. We've come alive in you. Come sing. Set free to show the truth. All lives will never be the same. Come sing it out. We're giving it all away. We're giving it all to go your way. We're giving, we're giving it all away, away. We're giving it all to go your way. In the way we're singing. Come on, sing it again. In the Father. In the Father, there is freedom. There is hope in the come sing it out. We'll lay your life down, give it all now. We are found in the love of a Savior. We've come alive in you. We're set free to show the truth. With all lives will never be the same. We're giving, giving it all away, away. We're giving it all to go your way. Come on, sing it out. We're giving it all away, away. We're giving it all to go your way. 
In the way we sing, come on, clap those hands. Come on, sing, we are sold out. We are sold out to your calling. Everything that we are for your glory. Take our hearts now and have it all now. Let our lives shine the light like the morning. We've come alive in you. Set free to show the truth. Sing it. Well, our lives will let Come on, let me just sing this morning. We're giving it all. We're giving it all away, away. We're giving it all to go your way. We're giving it all away, away. We're giving it all to go Come on, clap those hands. Come on, sing, roll back. Roll back the curtains from our eyes. And now we can see you. Show us your way to your life. Come on, sing, we offer. We offer our lives to bring you faith. We're caught in your freedom. We're caught in your freedom. We're giving it all away, away. We're giving it all to go your way. One more time, sing it. We're giving it all away, away. We're giving it all to go. Come on, lift up a shout of praise in this place. Come on. Come on, lift them up, church. We can't hear you. We lift you up, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Come on, there's no king like Jesus. Amen. There's no king that will leave his throne to come and die for us. There's no king like Jesus. Come on. Come on, let's worship him, church. Come on. In your own words, we sing it out to you this morning. God, you've been so good to us as a people, as humankind. God, when we failed countless times again, God, you have remained faithful. You've shown us grace. You've shown us love. So, God, we're here this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. Come on, church. Mercy falls, and mercy falls from your heart down on me. Who sing glory? Your glory streams from your face so lovely. Come sing it again, mercy. And mercy falls from your heart down. sing a million words. A million words could not express how marvelous your perfect life and I adore you. 
Sing a song from your heart this morning. We adore you, Lord. 
time in our worship, God, to acknowledge your presence in this place. Holy Spirit, you are here. You are God. And when your spirit is, there is freedom. There is power. God, we just declare you fill this house right now with your power. Let it manifest on your people. Holy Spirit, come on, church. Just begin to just welcome them into your life to move in power. Come on, we're not ashamed of it. Come on, we're not afraid of it. He's a God who loves you, moving power amongst us right now. Oh, we come before you. Sing it out, sing it out. Oh, we love everything you are. We love everything you are. Oh, I say, I say, we sing it out with all we are. Sing it out, Holy Spirit. Right now, we're just going to move into time for the Holy Spirit to come in and use us. So right now, we're just going to ask that if you have a word from the Holy Spirit, if you feel that God is wanting you to share something with this congregation, we're just going to leave this time for you to prophesy. provider God you see our needs you take care of us come on church just begin to thank him all over this place
Come on, that's been prophesied over you. God is telling you this morning that he sees you, he sees your needs, and he cares for you. Come on, I don't know about you, but that should let us shout of praise, knowing that a God in heaven who sees me, who cares for me, he doesn't leave you abandoned. Come on, church. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Oh, 
set a fire, set us a blaze for you. Oh, we want more than my soul. Your spirit, Lord, you bring life. You bring life. Bring life. Bring life. Stir it up right now. Let that be the cry of your heart this morning. To want more of God than anything else. Come on. Come on. Stir up that boldness to, to approach his throne right now. To want more of him. To want more of God than anything else. closer and this morning I ask that you would check your heart to see where you are with the Lord are you desiring more of him are you desiring to draw closer to him than ever before to push aside the things of this world because he gave it all just to be with you he gave it all to commune with you 
And not just for a moment, but for all of eternity. The Bible says that he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Hallelujah. Let's remember that this morning. The Bible tells us in Corinthians that we should search our hearts, examine our hearts before we take communion. Because not doing so would, would be in an unworthy manner. So right now I give you these moments, if there's anything in your heart that would keep you from coming closer to God, that you would search your heart and that you would repent for it right now, just you and him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask at this time of communion, Lord, that we would draw closer to you, that we would understand how close and how near you truly are to us. If there's anything in our hearts, dear God, that is not pleasing in your sight, Lord, we ask for forgiveness. Come on, just take the few moments right now, just you and him. Hallelujah. Father, we ask, Lord God, as this time of communion, Lord, if people come up, Lord, to receive, to receive, dear God, this wafer and juice that represents your body and blood that was broken and shed for us, dear God. We pray that you would bless this time, that we would draw closer to you, dear God. That looking at this love that you have for us would, would, uh, Urge us and push us and draw us closer into your presence, dear God. And not just for a moment, dear God, but for a lifetime. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you all to come up here right now in an attitude of worship to take the communion as the ushers lead you.
far And they'll never be the same again You have wounded me with your love And they'll never be the same again You have wounded me with your love And they'll never be the same again You have wounded me with your love And they'll never be the same
children if you could please follow Miss Nancy right over here who is excited to be in the house of God this morning amen God is doing mighty things and we are so happy that you are here with us if you could please open up your Bible to Galatians 5 19 the title of this morning's message is called warning everybody say warning Paul has written a letter to the people in Galatia, and he gives them a warning here. He is giving them the difference between someone who's living in the flesh and someone who's living in the spirit. And the fact of the matter is that in his church, there were people who were still living in the flesh, and he gives them this warning. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Somebody say obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Somebody say, warning. Paul has written his church warning them against these things. He said the acts are obvious, but I guess they weren't so obvious to some people, which is why he listed them. If you're living this way, 
If you're in this church and you're living this way, the Bible tells you that you will not see God's kingdom. There's nothing that you can do that can save you. Actually, you being here won't save you. You coming out to outreaches or you feeding the poor will not save you. It's only through your relationship with Jesus Christ. As you come here every Sunday morning, it's a warning to you. And we pray and we plead with you that you would receive Christ. We make opportunities for you to come to Jesus every Sunday morning, every life group, every Wednesday prayer night. We warn you that if you're not right with Christ, you will not see the kingdom of God. And there is a hell that is waiting with its gates open wide to receive you. The Bible tells us in Matthew 7, we can just put that up there. Matthew 7, 13. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Your sin will lead you to death. Your sin will lead you to destruction. Come on, but faith in Christ will lead you to life. Amen life to Jesus and eternity with the king of kings we are not promising you a better life we're not promising you all the riches of this world but guess what there's one who said he's prepared a place for you and he has said that no eye has seen and no ear has heard what he's prepared for those who love him so today we urge you and we invite you to come to Christ Amen. We have life group leaders right over here, Jessica and Salvador, who are ready and willing to pray with you. As we fellowship, they are waiting for you. Today, they want to pray with you. They want to intercede with you to the Father so that you may come and receive eternal life. I'm going to pray now. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name, and we ask, Lord, that you would minister to the hearts of your children. Father, we pray for conviction to hit home, that no one would leave this place, dear God, being far from you. I pray in the name of Jesus that salvation would come now. I pray in the name of Jesus that disciples would arise, disciples that make disciples. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, I'm going to ask you to please stand with me right now. And once again, I urge you to go and speak with them. We are going to recite our confession of faith. If you need a copy, please raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you a copy. This is what we believe here at Metro Praise. And we're going to recite it now on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death burial and resurrection and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. 
I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Come on, give the Lord some praise. Awesome. We invite you for a time of fellowship right now. And if you need prayer, our life group leaders are here to pray with you. Amen. Amen, amen. If you can, make your way back to your seats. We're going to keep this party going. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Amen. How many like the new place? Can we give a hand clap for Jesus? Amen. I want to just welcome you to our relaunch. We are starting anew here with you. So everybody say they're starting new and point to your neighbor and say with you. Amen. Does anybody need a second chance at life? Does anybody need to do things over again? And, and if you haven't, right, if you don't need to right now, then that means you already have. Amen. See, being born again means we get a second chance. And I just praise God that we're back in this community. The work that has been done here is absolutely phenomenal. There is no way we can thank everybody, but I want to thank some of the main workers, and I'm going to ask them to stand, and we'll hold our applause to the end, but uh, just want to tell you a little bit about what each one of them did. Brian, would you stand? Wampler, he came in and... Uh, 
we probably can't hold applause to the end. It's like a high school graduation. It ain't going to happen, but we'll try anyways. I just wanted to be cool to say that. Uh, Ricky Rivera, he came and just oversaw the project. Chris Vitale here early mornings, late nights. Uh, Jared as well. Andrew Sienski, the plumber. We had to call him at 2 in the morning because Brian hit a pipe. Uh, Carlos, would you stand, please? Just doing everything, detail, uh, all the paneling, all of that. Uh, Hector, our professional painter, just painting just like a madman. Uh, Nico, if he's here today, dropping the paneling. Uh, Nancy, would you stand up because she loved me because I worked over 120 hours where she had over there. And all of the volunteers, all of you, let's just thank the Lord for what God did. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all may be seated. We also just want to thank uh, Pastor Eddie and Melissa Leon of City Lights and some of their workers that just went above and beyond for us. Jeremy, Carlos, who did the lights for us. Leslie, helping us set up the children's room. And Isaac, who was their administrator, getting us all the keys. So let's just bless City Lights. Amen. We just bless them. Well, praise him. I am just so excited about what God is doing. Can you just look at your neighbor and go, he's excited. Oh, I'm just so excited. This is our uh, new church building. We call this the Reese Park Campus. So every Sunday morning, we're going to meet here at 10 a.m., every Wednesday at 7 p.m. for Encounter Nights, and then Elevate. Come on, Elevate. Yes, Lawrence, you are the man. It's a new season. And... Uh, at Pastor Adam, who leads it up every Friday night, uh, we're going to 7 o'clock now. It used to be 7.30. Just took the, uh, the young people to a Lecrae concert, man. Just tell us a little bit about the concert and all that went on out oh there. Oh, my gosh. Probably the best concert I've ever been in. I mean, it was amazing. It was packed out, a bunch of Christians, uh, mosh pit, all of it. But, I mean, the youth enjoyed themselves. I mean, the entire night was filled with the gospel rap. And then each artist individually shared something about what God has done in their life. So that's amazing. Something to look forward to for us. At the end of the month, we're having a joint service with Wicker Park um, Elevate. So those are some of the things that we are in the works. Uh, next week, you'll find out more information. But stay tuned. Let's give it up for Elevate doing it. The Elevators. Praise God. Here's something that we want you all to get a part of right now. It's our life group series. Life groups are really awesome. Anybody get excited about life groups? Come on, somebody. We are doing the Truth Project with Focus on the Family. They have given us 12 DVDs for every one of our life groups. You can go through these lessons together. If you're looking for a life group, they're looking for you, so meet them in the back at the visitor center. They'll tell you where you can find uh, the times that they're meeting. So we want everybody to get into the Truth Project. Somebody say the Truth Project. Thank you. That's what we're shooting for, getting everybody the truth. I've been hearing good reports about it. And then this month, we're doing a series called Cloud of Witnesses. Everybody say Cloud of Witnesses. Amen. And the cloud of witnesses is basically our opportunity to learn from the Old Testament saints and what we can put into our New Testament life. Here's something about Metro Praise that never changes where we go or what campus we're at. And by the way, we already have our second campus at Wicker Park. They're doing awesome. I was there last night. So impressed with the team over there, man. It was just a blessing to see what God was doing. So we have uh, two campuses in Chicago, Reese Park here and there at Wicker Park. And I want you now just to kind of look around, get a breath of this. Okay. 
okay, this is what we want to do 48 more times in this city. We believe there are storefronts all over the city. We can remove the roofs, join them together, put theater seating in them, and begin to build them out. So right now, as you begin to start feeling a little cramped in this place, that's good because that's going to motivate you to put some zeros after the number on your check so we can go to Fullerton and Cicero, then Albany Park, and then all around this city and start another one, baby. Look at your neighbor and say, we don't die, we multiply. Come on, we don't die, we multiply, baby. So what is every Metro Praise International Church going to do? We're going to love God and love people. Somebody say, love God, love people. Amen. Then we're going to disciple you, connect, mentor, and send. Everybody say, connect, mentor, send. Thank you. The way we get our vision of loving God, loving people comes directly from the words of Jesus. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is what we will do here in everything that we do. Our discipleship strategy of connecting you and mentoring you and sending you comes from Jesus' words as well in Matthew 28, where he said, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them everything I have taught you. The best way to get a part of our church is to start with the connect phase. Somebody say connect. By going to our life groups where we're offering right now the Truth Project, you get connected to the church. Then somebody say mentor. Thank you. Then at a life group, you can ask one of our leaders to begin to mentor you one-on-one. No matter how big this church gets, no matter how many seats we have, we want you to be discipled one-on-one. Everybody say one-on-one. Amen. Thank you. So go to the life group and say, hey, I want to get trained to live for Jesus. They'll sit down with you one-on-one, and then you can get put into the 201 class, which is a Sunday school. Do I got any radical 201ers in here? Amen. And this is our development to send you out around the world to change lives for Jesus. Evangelism is what we do with our leadership. And we have right now over 10 evangelism opportunities all throughout the week. Yesterday, they just did a party in the backyard here. Anybody see the little porch with a cross on it? See, we had a party out there. And that's what God called us to do because we believe if we love God and people, we connect them to the cross, teach them the cross, and send them out with the cross. We can see 100,000 disciples in this city with 50 churches and five around the world. If you believe we can do it, pump your fists and say, let's do it. Come on, somebody. And this is how you partner today with us in tithes and offerings. By you giving today, you enable us to continue to pay our bills here, to store up the savings, to start the next campus. And so the Bible teaches a tithe, 10%, everybody say a tithe, is 10% of my total income. Okay, like 10 of you, let's get everybody here to say a tithe is 10% of my total income. Thank you. I didn't say that. God said it. Research throughout the Bible. We believe the tithe is the principle for the Christian. The principle is that when God gives us 100%, we stop, and before we spend anything on our own goods and services, we give back to him the 10%, also known as the first fruit. By doing that, we're breaking three things off of our life and bringing three things into our life. We're breaking off greed and we're bringing in generosity. See, every time you get paid and you're like, man, I got to give to the Lord, you're breaking off a heart of greed and what do you get in exchange? Generosity. See, God starts developing that in you. He said that greed leads to all kinds of sins and we're experiencing that now in the recession. So we should be sensitive to continue to give to God. The next thing is it does is it stores up treasures in heaven and it teaches us not not to just store up treasures on earth. See, when we keep storing up treasures on earth, getting nice buildings and things, sometimes we can forget what God wants us to do among the poor and hurting, and he'll remember that forever. The Bible says when you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord, and it will not be forgotten. Can somebody say amen? And then the next thing is you change the world. 
How many of our dollars have gone to Hollywood? How many of our dollars have gone to musicians and restaurants? Ungodly people with ungodly values. When you give your tithe here, you change the world for positivity, for what Jesus is doing. You break off greed, you get generosity. You store up treasures in heaven, not just on earth. You change the world for God's kingdom and not for the world's kingdom. Amen? And then the Bible says after a tithe, you can give a free will offering. And we have two places you can do that in this church to give to our missions. And we're raising $100,000 over the next three years to start sending out our missionaries. Be a part of that by simply asking God for a monthly pledge and give it to a monthly or weekly. And then lastly, for the building fund, all of these things we have here cost money. And when you circle building, it goes to keep these things maintained. Can I hear an amen? And we also have online giving drop boxes uh, in the, uh, the sanctuary here and in the back where you can give at your convenience. And we just want to ask you to believe God for great things in this new season. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that this church is supported by your people, not by a denomination or by outside supporters. We thank you, Lord, that today you're using them to change the world. Now, Lord, I ask that you bless them. Bless them to be a blessing. God, pour it out upon their family, their children. We pray for grants and loans for high school students planning to go to college. We pray for debt reduction on mortgages and those who own land and businesses. We pray for opportunities of employment for those who are looking. We pray, God, for increase for those who are employed and working for their companies. Let them be like Joseph on the job, God, as he was with Potiphar, that whatever he put his hands to, he prospered. And, Lord, we ask that you will remind us of the missions. The heart that we have now spreads across five different nations. We supply them with books and materials, Pakistan, the Philippines, India, Nepal, Nigeria. Help us to continue to raise our monies that we can send out our missionaries there. And, Lord, we ask you to bless our children to the second and third generation as we're faithful to you and bless this nation in the time of a political turmoil and an economic hardship. Would you put the right people in office with the right plan so that your people may prosper? In Jesus' name, can everybody say amen? Let's repeat this on the count of three, and then we'll uh, stand and give. So let's all stand now, rather, and then we'll come forward and give. But let's repeat this on the count of three, what Jesus said. How many believe Jesus told the truth? Amen. We're not reading a fortune cookie here, are we? You shall meet somebody pretty and make a lot of money. And this is the, this is the word of God. Amen. So let's say it and believe it like it's the word of God. One, two, three. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Will you come forward rejoicing as you give? Thank you so much. God bless you. We're giving it all to go your way. We're giving it all away. We're giving it all to go your way. And away we're singing. Amen. Can we give it up for the band this morning, rocking it out for Jesus? You guys did so awesome. Oh, come on, somebody. We're going to be talking about Abraham today, the father of faith. Would you open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12? How many have ever heard of Abraham in the Bible? Can I hear a little amen or a hand raising? 
don't know if y'all got uh, an extra hand there, but a little amen would be all right. How many know Abraham? Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. Abraham is known as the father of faith, and he's going to encourage you today. His example is going to be an encouragement to you. How many would say, like what we're hearing from most Americans today, uh, these last uh, you know, five years have, have brought some troubles, have brought some ups and downs into your life. Can I get a witness or an amen? I mean, many of us have faced financial trouble. Businesses have closed. Jobs have realigned. We have college students that have graduated with awesome degrees, and they just can't connect into the field that they want yet. And how many know that droughts, times of trouble, testing is nothing new to the Bible? Can I get another amen? So today's message on faith, I believe, is going to encourage you to have faith for your troubles. And if you're not in a troubled situation right now, just hold on. Yours is coming. And some of us are just getting out of one, and we're just like, whoo, feels good to be free, you know. And we're on that mountaintop, you know. And we're just like shouting, I'm on top of the world, you know. And the Lord's just like, enjoy it, because there's another valley coming right there. That's life, isn't it? Life is not just mountaintops, it's also valleys, isn't it? And there's times in between, there's ups and there's downs. But you know there's something that God gave us. It's an attribute, it's a substance, it's called faith. It can bring you through all of those times. When you look at the life of Jesus, he was going through a storm. The disciples were freaking out. The boat was about ready to sink. What was Jesus doing? Does any scholar know what he was doing? He was sleeping. He wasn't studying the Bible. He wasn't calling a four-day fast or something. He was just, he was sleeping. You know why? Because he had faith that what the father said would happen. And the father said, you're going to go to the other side. So when they got in this boat and the, the waves started crashing, Jesus just fell asleep. The disciples are ringing out, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to die. Like, did they ever think to themselves, he came a long way from heaven. I think you guys are going to make it across the shore. It's not like, what happened to Jesus? Oh, he died in a boating accident. You're like, what are we going to do? I don't know. Send another. No, come on, somebody. If he sent him from heaven, he, you're going to cross the lake. But you see, they lacked faith. And aren't we all like that at times when life just gets hard? That's when we feel God is so much distant from us. And we want to shake him up or, or, or we want to try to earn somehow more favor in his eyes. Well, God, I'm going through trouble, so I'm going to pray an extra hour. I'm going to fast an extra day. I'm going to give more money. And there's nothing wrong with sacrifice. But when you do it with the mindset of, I have to do this so God shows up, you're not understanding you're his child already. And you're not understanding his love. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12 as we get into this series, and today we're going to talk about faith, but this will be our scripture for the whole series this month, so make sure you come every week and just bring people who need encouragement. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and onward, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Everybody say, I will look to Jesus. I will not grow weary. I will not lose heart. Come on, now say it like a declaration one more time. I will look to Jesus. I will not grow weary. I will not lose heart. 
Amen. This is the text for our series, Cloud of Witnesses, because the Bible says here in the book of Hebrews to the New Testament church that there are Old Testament people who have already gone before them that have finished their race. And it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, run the race. The example here is like what we saw in the Olympic running uh, races, the hurdles, the 50-yard dash, uh, 100-yard dash, the, the mile, etc., where there's people in the stands. But instead, at this time, in this race, the ones in the stands are not just bystanders or people who are disconnected. These are ones who have actually already run the race. So it would be like playing a Super Bowl game in front of the stands filled with all the teams that have ever won a Super Bowl. Are you all listening to me? It would be like playing a World Series game with all the teams who have ever won a World Series in the stands. So when they're cheering the team on, they're cheering from experience. They're cheering from a place where it's like, I know where you've been. I know what it's like to be up to bat with two outs and people on base and you've got to hit the ball. I know that pressure and you can do it. It's being able to say, I know what it's like to throw that last pass on fourth and long and you've got to hit it within just a few inches to get it in the end zone. Those cloud of witnesses are laid out in Hebrews chapter 11. During our series, I would encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the Hall of Faith. In, in today's society, we have Hall of Fames for sports and rock and roll. The Bible has a Hall of Faith, those who have lived by faith. Moses is mentioned there. David is mentioned there. A lot of people that have already run the race. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying those people who have run the race, they are now in a cloud of witnesses around you. So as it were in this example, there's maybe a banister of heaven that they can look from where they are to where you are. And it's like a cloud that surrounds us, and if we'll listen to their writings and hear their example from what we see in the Bible, we can hear them cheering us on. You, you could hear uh, Abraham saying, it's okay to sacrifice it all because he's Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. You can hear somebody like David saying, take on that giant because God will be with you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. If you look to their examples, there's a powerful testimony that somebody's already gone through it. If you look to the story of Joseph, he was sold into slavery by his own brothers, put in a pit. Then he was brought from that pit into slavery into Potiphar's house. And then he was lied on by Potiphar's wife, and then he was put into prison. And then after being in prison, he interpreted a dream and then came before the palace. And whether he was in the pit or Potiphar's house or prison, the palace, we learn from Joseph that God works out all things for good. You can hear their testimonies all throughout Scripture. But look at what the Bible tells us to do as we recognize these cloud of witnesses. We're to do two things. Number one, we're to throw off everything that hinders us. You notice that hindrances are separated from the word sin because that will be the second thing we must do in response to this cloud of witnesses. Sins are things that are against God's commands, but the first thing he says is throw off hindrances. There are some things in your life that can be a hindrance to you and maybe not to another. But as you're sensitive to the Lord, he'll tell you what things to throw off or what things to keep. Let me give you an example. When I first got saved and I was running my race, God said to me, you're not ready to date. I said, okay, I'll wait a year. He said, no, you ain't going to be long enough, son. You're going to wait a long time. Do you know that I wasn't given permission by God to date for three years? 
See, if I would have gone out trying to date, is dating wrong? No. But if I would have tried to do it outside of God's will, it would become a hindrance. And the example, again, of running a race would be like a marathon runner or somebody jumping hurdles holding on the dumbbell. You couldn't run the same kind of race trying to jump. You couldn't do it. There are things in your life that you have to let go of that may not necessarily be sins but may be hindrances to you running your race. Is listening to secular music wrong? No. But if it reminds you of dropping it like it's hot and booty shaking and going to the club and rock and rolling and wanting to cut yourself, you can't listen to that. Is watching movies wrong? No. But if watching movies stirs up the engine on the inside of you for romance or, or things that aren't godly, you, you shouldn't do that. When I first got saved, I didn't watch movies or TV or any of that for 12 years. I still don't drink caffeine. I haven't drank caffeine since November of 95 because after I got cleared off of drugs and I drank some caffeine, it was like, woo, I feel that. And y'all looking at me crazy. Y'all know you feel caffeine. Some of you got to have like four mochi latte shots, ventes, or whatever they call these things now. I don't even know what half y'all are drinking. It's just like mainline it to some of y'all. I'm all right, Pastor. It's like, no, you better drop that hindrance and your breath stinks. Anyways. We, we have all a different race to run, so we all may have different hindrances. For me, it was getting rid of worldly things that reminded me of the world. For some of you, it may be friendships. There's nothing wrong with having friends that are ungodly, but for you, it may lead you to ungodly activity. It may bring up past memories. It may, not, uh, not the first day, but the second week, the third month, it may bring you right back in a full circle to where you had left. First thing the Bible says when we see a cloud of witnesses is throw off those things that hindered us. If you follow every man or woman of God's life in the past, they threw off things that hindered them that weren't necessarily sins. They made sacrifices for God. The second thing that we see is that you have to get rid of sin. Now this one is obvious because sin is sin for all of us. There's not like somebody here that can say, well, I can lie sometimes. God's cool with it. Or somebody here that's living uh, with their girlfriend or boyfriend and they're not married. They're like, God understands. Now let me tell you what God understands. There's a place called hell, and he died so you wouldn't go there. You better get right before you get left. That's what he understands. You better repent, baby. Come on, somebody say amen. And then the Bible says you, you throw off these hindrances. Sins have to be dealt with, and then you run with perseverance. That means you do not give up. Were there times in these men of God's lives, women of God's lives, that they felt like giving up? Yes. Will there be times in your life, in my life, we feel like giving up? Absolutely. I just uh, was looking at my Facebook today, and I just was rocked by this terrible news. One of the young men I used to disciple in New Orleans from uh, the North Shore on the other side of the lake had died during the summer, uh, either because of drugs or uh, gangs. I haven't heard yet but from the mother because I, I did not know this on Facebook and I began to scroll down as I was seeing the rest in peace pictures and all of these things. And it just began to hit me so hard because this young man was under our ministry. He became a youth pastor. And I remember him struggling, but I didn't know how bad it was because he wouldn't return my calls. And now he's dead. Obviously, that is an extreme example of somebody giving up. But you know what? Even if you give up and everybody around you thinks you're still doing good, God knows if you gave up. 
See, some of you can give up, and you may not go back to crack and, you know, pimping on the corner or something crazy like that. Somebody say amen. I'm glad we don't got all ex-pimps up in here, amen. And if you're an ex-pimp, just keep that to yourself, amen. That's a part of the testimony we don't want to hear. Well, I used to pimp, and I used to be on it, but glory to God, I've been saved. Okay, you just keep that to yourself, amen, because women ain't ever going to trust you. They ain't going to look at you right, okay. But. But, but not all of us are going to come up here and be like, well, if I backslid, I would be on heroin. I'll be at Belmont and Clark. You know what I'm saying? I'll be all crazy out there. For, for some of you, backsliding is still going to church. For some of you, giving up on your race is still taking care of your family. For some of you, it's still getting good grades in school because that's not following God. You can get good grades in school, go to church and do all that, and still not be following God. Going to the bank doesn't make you a millionaire. Sitting in your car, uh, in your garage going vroom, vroom doesn't make you a car. And coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. And just because you don't beat up nobody and don't make, uh, smoke crack doesn't mean you're a, a good moral person. Because the Bible judges morality different. God, the God says you can set idols before your heart, idols of things you desire, and those things can keep you from God. You can put your job as an idol before God. You can put your family before God. Some people say, I'm so busy taking care of my family. This is what God said. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Listen to me, baby Bethany Lucas ain't worth going to hell over, baby. I'm bringing them to heaven with me, Amen. And even if my kids do wild out, that's why I'm making a bunch of them. Because if anyone mess up, I'll just make another, have another one replace them. Um, that's, that's, that's why they're like, are you done having three? No, I only got one boy. I got to have at least five boys. Because one of them boys is going to probably get that Joe speared up. And I'm going to have to leave him out in the woods and go fend for yourself, son. The other one's taking your spot now. The inheritance, going to, inheritance is going to him. It says, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The joy set before him is how he endured the cross. Do you know that when we look theologically through the Old Testament, you'll see some of it here when we study the life of Abraham, that Jesus was showing up all the time in the Old Testament. He was the angel of the Lord that came and visited Gideon. He was the guest that uh, Abraham in the plains of Mamre in, in Genesis 18. He was the son of man that appeared next to the ancient of days in Daniel's vision. He was the one that uh, spoke to Hagar in, in the story of Hebrews. And, I mean, the story of Abraham and said she would be all right. He's the fourth man in the fiery furnace that has the appearance of one of the son of God. I'll be here all day. The pre-incarnate Christ is a mystery to those who don't understand who he is. If you look at Jesus as just being a good man who walked the earth, then you don't know why he's showing up in the Old Testament. But if you understand him to be the God before all creation and through him creation was created, then that means he was there all along. And then in the New Testament, he reveals how he's been operating with the Father and John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then it says in John 1, 14 that the Word tabernacled, made his tent alongside of us. And then in John 1, 18, it says, no one has ever seen the Father, but they've seen God the Son because he makes them known. So anytime Moses was having experiences, anytime the prophets were having experience, Isaiah chapter 6, any of this, they're actually seeing Jesus. Somebody say, that's cool. That's awesome. So they learned how to focus in on Jesus because there is only one mediator between man and God, and that is Jesus. But the thing that I love about this is that he's the author and perfecter of our faith. 
Sometimes people believe in what's called determinism. They call it now Calvinism, which now believes that for God to be the author and perfecter of our faith, that means he has to determine some of you to be saved and some of you to be lost. John Calvin taught this at the, the Reformation, and he began to say that if you're going to hell, it's because God destined you, predestined you to hell, and if you're going to heaven, it's because God predestined you to heaven. This was never the intention of the Bible. The Old Testament saints never believed this. The early church, this is an invention of man. It's a philosophy that goes back to fatalism, and it's been, been finding its way back into the church through naive people who just get sucked into this Calvinistic doctrine. Don't believe that. Somebody say the devil is a liar. Now, Calvinists can go to heaven, but they're just going there confused. Amen? When it says he's the author and perfecter of our faith, what it means is not in the determinative sense, not that he makes you have faith and he makes you have perfect faith. What it is saying is, is that when faith comes into your heart, it came from him. But you still must choose it. Let me give you, let me give you the example. I wrote a couple books on discipleship. I'm the author of those books. And if you read those books, you can become a disciple according to the teachings there. I don't make you read those teachings. Do you understand? So if you're in the class and you're saying, man, I feel like quitting, the author of that book can come to you, me, and I can go, man, don't quit. I know you can make it. I wrote the book for people like you to make it, and I've already seen people perfect it, graduate it, finish it. you all listening? And so in that sense, just choose to follow the teachings. And so in the sense of what God is authoring, he is giving you faith, but it has to come by your choice. You can choose doubt just like you choose faith. Let me give you an example. The Bible says when you give 10% of your income to God, he will bless you, throw up the windows of heaven, give you so much you don't have enough room to receive. Do you believe that or do you say, I doubt it? Hello? Because if right now you're saying, I doubt it, that's your choice. God can't force you to believe that. How about this? The Bible says, single people, if you abstain from sexual relationships until you get married, your marriage bed will be undefiled. He'll give you heavenly experiences in the high places. Now, that's if you wait for him to send the right one. See, all the single people, you either believe that or you say, I doubt it. Now, a lot of times people say, what should I do with my doubts? You know what you should do with your doubts? Doubt your doubts, amen? So when somebody goes, man, I really doubt you giving to the Lord is going to bless you. Go, I doubt that. What do you mean? Well, I doubt your doubt. How can you doubt my doubt? Well, I just did. I doubt your doubt. I believe what the Bible says over your doubt, so I doubt it. Because God keeps his word, amen. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He gives the faith. He perfects the faith. And by his joy set before him, he can endure the cross. So he is our ultimate example. We are all looking to him. They look to him. We look to him. And the greatest example of his walk of faith was coming in the flesh, dying on the cross. And by doing so, he became the savior of the world. And the Bible says he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And his job there at the right hand of the Father is to intercede for us so that in times of our our hardships and times of our going through pain, we can see him see the joy and receive mercy from the throne of God. So that why? For those two reasons that when opposition is coming from sinful men, we don't grow weary and lose heart. Can somebody say amen? Now look at your neighbor and say that was the first introduction. There's two introductions today, okay, and then the message. So hold on tight. 
On Facebook, I have the notes up there for you if you guys want to look at it. And Andrew, would you just keep the scriptures up today? But I do place the notes on Facebook for those that are tech savvy. You can have your phone out and keep up with us. Today's character that we're going to see, how he let go, let go of hindrances, let go of his sin, held on to the faith that God gave him so that he could perfect it in him. And when he got tired, he looked back to Jesus to give him strength, and he did not grow weary. That example we're going to see today is Abraham. And I'm setting that introduction up now for the rest of the people we talk about. They are an example of how to look to Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Abraham, his story is found in Genesis chapter 12 through 25. We don't have time, obviously, to read all of the chapters. So you can just uh, look up at me as I begin to give you some uh, helpful in information to understand about Abraham. And I want to call this Sunday School for Adults. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. So I just don't want to get all preaching. You'd be all happy, like, oh, he preached to us. What did he talk about? I don't know, but it was good. I said amen a whole bunch. I want you all to learn something in here. Amen. Okay, here's something to know about before Abraham even came on the scene, and this will set the stage of all the stories we talk about. Number one, God created Adam and Eve, so we believe in God as the creator. Number two, Adam and Eve's sin. This is the fall of mankind. It's found in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve then had children, and they began to populate the world. Number four, uh, humility, excuse, excuse me, humanity grew in wisdom and population. And let me just pause right here. Evolution wants to say we were a slow, gradual growth, but everything in anthropology as we study languages, music, buildings, pyramids. We still haven't figured out how they did that. The Incas with their pyramids here in South America and Central America. All that we see in human history, the study of man, anthropology, is right around four or 5,000 B.C. It all just appeared on the scene. Languages, skilled labor, buildings. You know why that is? Because that's when we were created. We didn't come from goo to you. Are you understanding goo to you? Out this soup and then turn into a lizard or a fish and then a lizard and then a, a dog-like creature, an ape-like creature, and then a Neanderthal-like creature. That's why as far as we go back and we see man, man is building stuff, man is designing stuff, and some of those things are more intricate than the things we can do because we still can't figure out things like the pyramid and how they could build that way. Can I hear an Amen. So the Bible says humanity began to grow in wisdom and population. Uh, number five, it says by the time of Noah, mankind had become wicked and violent. That man was doing whatever was right in his own eyes. And by doing that, he brought a curse of God, uh, the curse of God upon himself. And just remember those two things that Noah was doing that brought the rains and the flood. The next time, it's Jesus with the fire. Are you all listening? And what were the two things? As he said in, in Matthew, like it was in Noah's generation, so shall it be in this generation. As they were partying, Noah was getting into the ark. And what were the two things that marked Noah's uh, generation? Was they were wicked and they were violent. Do you see violence increasing in your culture right now? How about Syria right now in Turkey? There's been wars and rumors of wars more increasing. And then wickedness. The Bible says in the end times that the love of many will grow cold because because sin will abound. And that's why you're seeing homosexuality begin to just spread, perversion. Do you know that they passed a law in California just last week that made it illegal for any parent to take their child to a psychiatrist or a pastor or any leader as a child to take them to have a counseling against same-sex attraction? Let me just say this real simple. That means if you had a child, they have same-sex attraction, they're a minor. If you bring them to me as a pastor in California, that's illegal. 
That is how powerful the same-sex uh, agenda is becoming. And the same one who took off, the same doctor, and I have it on uh, Facebook, the same doctor who fought in the 70s to take homosexuality off the mental disorder list of the Psychiatric Association of America, the APA, is the same one that's fighting now to have pedophilia removed from the association's list of mental disorders. And we as Christians have been saying this all along, that what will go for homosexuals will go for pedophilia and go for polygamy. And as a matter of fact, the same, some of the same uh, homosexual activists are actually working with polygamous uh, groups right now and pedophilia groups using the same tactics to invade our culture. The Bible says that God destroyed the world of Noah's day because of their wickedness and violence. Noah and his wife were spared with their three sons and their three wives. The three sons were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The Bible talks about this destruction being so great that it came up from the deep. A lot of people think it was only the rain, but it was up from the deep. This is the greatest evidence that we have of the flood today. Places like the Grand Canyon, finding oysters on top of Mount Everest the size of cars, and finally finding woolly mammoths frozen with food still in their mouth, all point to a global catastrophe that when the liquid came up, it made mountaintops and valleys, it made canyons, and then as the earth began to rotate, it began to freeze fast. Fast and quickly as animals were growing because within 20 years of the flood, it changed the entire precipitation of our world. And when it snowed, it's the first time on those animals it snowed. And that's why we can still find dinosaur bones with tissue on them and they want to convince them, convince us they're billions of years old. No, they were destroyed in a flood and maintained by the water, that, uh, the ground that settled on top of them. Answers in Genesis.org if you think I'm making stuff up. Somebody say amen. So that's why y'all got to come to church, amen? See, these high school students, they're just being taught lies, and they don't know there's lies in the textbook, and we as Christians have to teach them the truth. And then lastly, we see before Jesus, excuse me, before Abraham, that the lineage of Shem, that's who the Semitic people come from, is Shem, the son of Noah. Abraham was born in the land of Ur, and that's modern-day Iraq, which was ancient Babylon. Somebody say amen to that. Okay, now, uh, would you put up the blog form so they can see these points right here? This is what I want to give you about Abraham and what type of a man he was and the great things he did. And then I want to get back to preaching with you. So I want you to take some notes because a lot of people don't know about Abraham. They might have heard about him. But let me just tell you some things about him and as this is coming up. Do you know that Abraham is known of the father of the Judeo people as well? So Jews have him as their ancestor. And because Muslims take an offshoot from Jesus then to Muhammad and skip the whole Christian church, they look back to Abraham as well. So we call this the three Abrahamic faiths, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. But who do I believe sees Abraham the clearest? It is the Christians because they understand that it was by Jesus that they could do, that he could do all he could do. Somebody say amen. So you have to see Christ to see who really Abraham was. Number one, let me, as he uh, makes this bigger for you, can you make it a lot bigger so they can see it? Thank you. Uh, talking about Abraham's beginning in Genesis 12, God called him away from his family to be a father of a new nation. So you have to understand, after Noah's flood, most people now are pagans. You don't really hear about many people serving God. And all of a sudden, in Genesis chapter 12, uh, you know, you have God showing up and going, Abraham, I want you to leave your family, and I want you to be the one I'm going to start a nation with. That's in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. In Genesis 12, 7, God promised him as a 75-year-old man that he would have a child that would be the beginning of this nation. So he's 75 years old, and God says, I'm going to build a nation from, uh, from you, so you need to get busy. Come on, somebody say amen. 
It's okay to say amen for that in church. Uh, number three, he defeated four kings to defend his nephew Lot and was the first to tithe. Genesis 14 records that. Then we learn that God foretold him that his descendants would go into slavery for 400 years, yet they would still be a great nation. So about a 1,000 years before the captivity of the Jewish people in Egypt, way at the beginning, God is prophesying that to Abraham. Isn't that pretty awesome? that God had it all in control. Uh, number five, Abraham fell into doubt and had relations with his, uh, Sarah's servant Hagar and brought forth Ishmael as a child. Anybody remember that story? Basically, God says, you're going to have a great nation. He goes, man, my wife can't have kids. So the wife gets nervous and sends over uh, the servant Hagar, and he has a relationship with her. And then Ishmael comes up, which then creates the modern-day conflict we have still to this day because it's been prophesied that the Arab people coming from the Ishmaelites will oppress and fight against Israel. That has been foretold. Israel has always been the center of God's timepiece. It has always been the hour clock. If you want to know how close we're getting for Jesus coming back, just look at Israel. Uh, the next thing, number six, Abraham was given his name, Abraham, father of multitudes. Everybody say father of multitudes. By God personally, thank you, because his first name, Abram, meant exalted father. And that's in Genesis 17, 5. So his dad said, you're Abram, exalted father. But God said, you're a father of multitudes. That's why we call him Father Abraham. Anybody ever hear the song, Father Abraham had many sons? Many sons had father. Y'all didn't go to church. Y'all looking at crazy, but everybody else knows it. So let's just praise the Lord. Right hand, Father Abraham. Okay. So all you non-church kids, don't hate. You kids didn't grow up in church, don't hate. That's my mom and dad right there. Can we give it up for mom and dad? Bringing me to church. Sometimes kicking and screaming, but they brought me, amen. Amen. They brought me anyways. Number seven, he was the first person given the covenant of circumcision. Note the, how old he was, 99 years old. We're going to circumcise you, Abraham. God, do we have to? Can we, can we start with the babies? Because then from that point, it's on the eighth day. Nope, 99 years old, you're getting circumcised. Somebody say, praise the Lord. We're in the new covenant. Amen. Some of you Puerto Ricans right here would be going to the back and, ah! What's going on? A brother got saved. He got to get circumcised. Some of y'all just don't get it. That's all right. It's church. We talk about it in church. Amen. If they circumcise a 99-year-old man, we're going to talk about a circumcision of a 99-year-old man. Let's keep going. God, who we believe is Jesus the Son, appeared to Abraham in Genesis 18, gave him a promise of a child once again, but now through Sarah, he's like, dude, it's coming through Sarah. Let's stop messing it up. And then he changed her name from Sarai to Sarah, which means princess of multitudes. Then at that same encounter, Abraham intercedes with God face-to-face -face for Sodom and Gomorrah, and God actually uh, said he would spare Sodom and Gomorrah for ten righteous people. And if you wonder why America has not been judged yet, it's because there's Christians interceding for this nation. The light is still shining and God is having mercy and I believe we can turn it around. Amen. Then uh, God gave him Isaac, his son of promise. The name Isaac means laughter because when Sarah was told it was coming through her and that Hagar thing with Ishmael didn't work out, she laughed, and so that was his name. And he had that child, Isaac, at 100 years old, Genesis 21. And then we see that he was tested to actually sacrifice this child. And a lot of you don't understand why he was told to sacrifice the child. Hebrews tells us that he believed God could raise the dead, so he actually believed he would get his child back 
And also when you go back to Genesis with the story of Adam and Eve when they sinned, God said to Eve that your seed will crush the serpent. So what we believe that through this time there was an oral tradition that a human sacrifice will crush the, the work of Satan. Hence the reason for pagan human sacrifice because they were trying to initiate it on their own. And when Abraham was asked to do this, chances are in his mind he believed if he would kill Isaac, an innocent child, God would take the evil from the world but at that moment a ram's in the bush Jehovah shows up who we believe is Jesus and he says I myself will provide the lamb speaking about himself coming in the flesh and dying for our sins Jehovah Jireh Genesis 22 14 he gets the revelation of Jesus and you're going to learn in Galatians that he actually believed it and it was accounted to believing the gospel yes Abraham heard the gospel even before Christ was born somebody say awesome then Abraham sent his servant to get a wife for Isaac named Rebekah before he died. Genesis 24, my dad wrote a book out of those words that he said to his servant, which is, please give me success. You can find it online or go to my dad. He wrote a book about the simple trust this servant had in Abraham's word to find a, a wife for Isaac. Give me success. That was what he had said, the servant, as he prayed. And then uh, number 13, Abraham died with only two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And we know Ishmael was basically under a curse, Genesis 25. So Abraham, the man of promise, the one that's going to build nations, that left all of his family to serve God, how many people did he have after he died out of his lineage? Two. And one was the nation that God was going to build. You think you have tests. You say you've gone to jobs and they haven't accepted your application. Imagine spending 100 years of your life and you don't see anything except maybe one old job at the end. See, God promises us he will keep his promises, but he doesn't promise us he's going to do it his way, or excuse me, our way. And many times we think God is lacking in keeping his promises because it's not coming our way. I want to use Abraham today as an encouragement for you to trust God when God is moving behind the scenes, when God is orchestrating things, and you don't see what he's doing on your behalf at that moment you need to lay aside your hindrances lay aside your sins focus your eyes on Jesus baby and keep the faith you might say everything around me is going crazy but I'm going to keep the faith if Jesus could do it for Abraham he'll do it for me and what I love about the Bible, which uh, Islam does not like about Abraham, and they don't believe this to be true, is that Islam paints pictures of our prophets of the Old Testament and changes them to take out every mistake the Bible says. Where Lot uh, got drunk and his, his daughters raped him, they say that would never have happened. Where David cheated with Bathsheba, that never would have happened. And this with Abraham cheating with Hagar, that would have never have happened. Hence, they believe Ishmael is the chosen one. What I love about the Bible is that the Bible Bible shows you the faults of people. We don't have to try to paint up a different picture than what is in the Bible. See, sometimes when you study other religions, they make their prophets and their leaders perfect. They never make a mistake. And so when you look to them as an example, you're like, man, I don't know if I can relate to that one because they never made an ex uh, never had a problem. But you see, Jesus being our perfect Savior always uses these people as an example to us who are not perfect so that we can understand what it's like to make mistakes. Do you understand what I just said? Jesus used these examples, and so we should use them too. Here's three mistakes that Abraham made in his life. Number one, he had the fear of man. 
In Genesis 12, 10 and Genesis 21, Abraham lied two different times when he went to meet leaders about Sarah, his wife. He told the leaders that Sarah's my sister. Okay, two things that come to mind. Number one, your wife has got to be smoking hot for you to have to lie about who she is. And the second time that it happened, she was up in her 80s. Are you all listening to me? It's like, don't be messing with grandma. That's my sister. Like somebody's going to be hitting on grandma, but she, Sarah, must have been a hot grandma. Are you all listening to me? So this is what we know. Number one, Sarah must have been hot. The second thing that we know, the second thing that we know is that he really feared man. It shows a deep fear that he had. Because when he came into Egypt the first time, he gets scared and he goes, maybe the ruler here will kill me and take my wife as his wife. And if, God, you know, if this man kills me, then God won't keep his promise. So because I fear man and I'm not sure if God's going to keep his word because the opposite of faith is fear. And if I don't trust that God's going to keep his word, maybe I got to do something myself. But every time he tried to do something himself, it wasn't out of faith. It was actually out of fear. Can we learn from that mistake? Has anybody here ever feared man? How about the times that you lied on your job to make your boss think more highly of you because you were afraid to tell the truth? You feared man. The times that you lied to your husband or to your wife about what went on in your past or what went on when you were at home or where you were at or young people to your parents, you're fearing man. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare, but the fear of God brings life. When we mess up and do things wrong, we should be quick to repent to man because we know God already knows, right? So let's say there was something shady going on with me as a pastor. Why would I be afraid to confess that to you? That would be a fear of man because if God already's got my number, Ezekiel chapter 33 says he's going to punish me severely. So I might as well walk in the fear of God and hide nothing from you. Amen. And the next thing that we see about that fear of man is that our way of trying to work out God's promises always seem to fail. Let me give you an example. It's a, a fear that many people face here. You know, we're raising our children. We're raising our families right now. And some here, like me, have concerns about public schools or, or going to, you know, their friend's house. And all of that needs wisdom. Some are going to want to homeschool. And some, you may say to your children, you're never going to spend the night. But at some point, if you have not taught your children how to be around a negative influence and say no, then you're actually setting them up for failure. Because the first time they get around a negative influence, if they haven't practiced it with training wheels as a 6-year-old, a 7-year-old, an 8-year-old, with you being with them, now you're away from them, they may fall into that because they never learned how to resist temptation. Sometimes we think sheltering things keeps things safe. How many know right now we can die a hundred different ways before we go home and be the safest people ever? I mean, it blows my mind how people die in this city. It blows my mind what's going on in America. Whether it's somebody shooting up a mall. Do you remember Oklahoma? You could just go to the mall today and get shot up. You could be on a military base. Did you hear about the military? You could say, this has got to be the safest place for me to be and get shot up there. What does the Bible say in 1 Timothy 1.7? God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Don't fear the world. Don't fear the devil. Don't fear man. Fear God and live holy. Amen? 
Number two, he had a failure uh, and a fear of being alone. In Genesis 12, 1, God tells Abraham, leave your family and follow me, and I'll take you to a special place and make you a father of nations. But in Genesis 12, 5, he took around his nephew Lot with him, and eventually Lot caused him trouble with his herds. How many of you have ever brought a lot with you when Jesus told you to bring nothing? Hello, you brought a lot with you. You get it? God said, walk away from that relationship. But you said, I'm just going to keep the number so I can text every now and then. God, you know what I'm saying? God said, let go of that job. And you said, well, I'm just going to go to part-time now. God said for you to stop doing this and start doing this, and you tried to make some type of a compromise with God. We learned that compromises with God and his plan never work. Abraham had a fear of being alone, but can you blame him? He was told to leave all his family, all of his country, and to follow the voice either in his head, that voice that was speaking to him through his head and heart, or an audible voice. But nevertheless, he didn't have a pillar of fire like Moses. He didn't have signs continue to follow him like Gideon. He had to leave everything and walk out into the desert. Do you know that when Jesus walked the earth, he told people to do the same thing? He said, if anyone wants to follow me, they must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and go where I go. Abraham is the father of those who have to leave things behind to walk in faith. And he also shows us that when we try to hold on to our old life while we're walking in the new life, it always brings trouble. Eventually, he had to let Lot go. Number three, he had the fear of disappointment. By Abraham not trusting God, he had relations with Hagar and gave birth to Ishmael, Genesis 16. And I believe this is the one, if we were to get down and deep into the hearts and even past the most zealous amen are here and even into my life, I believe this is the one that we fail in the most. Because a lot of us were shouting amen, yes, God will take care of me, yes, God will bless me, but down deep inside, we have a fear of God disappointing us, of a fear of failure. Well, what if God doesn't bring me my spouse? What if God doesn't take care of me? I remember being single for those 10 years, waiting for my wife to come, and I got anxious towards the end. I remember going on online dating sites. Nothing wrong with that, y'all, okay? But I was there, and if you're a Christian, just do it right. On the back of the book, Date Like a Christian, I talk about online dating. Somebody say amen. I went there. Look at your neighbor. Say, he goes everywhere. Of course I go there. I'm going to go there online dating. So anyway, but at the end, man, I was so anxious that I was traveling to Florida. I was traveling back up to Indiana. You remember that, Daddy picked me up from the airport. He met one of the young ladies, and I was just so anxious. I was trying to make it happen, and literally, I remember God telling me, if you don't stop doing this, you will get what you're asking for. You'll get a wife of your choosing, and it put the fear of God in me. Are you understanding that? Come on. I want to ask you to look down deep into your heart and ask yourself this question. Have I ever felt God disappointed me? Have I ever felt that God disappointed me? God let me down. 75-year-old man is told you're going to have a child. 25 years later, he still doesn't have one. That's why Hagar looks so good after a while. And if you notice in the Bible, it wasn't his idea. It was actually Sarah's idea. Because how many know wives, you want your husband to be happy. Now, you may not want to be that happy, amen? That's crazy. Honey, I just want you happy. Here's Susie. Or, or not say Susie, uh, Barbara, if there's not a Barbara here. Okay, here's Barbara. Here's Margie. So I want you to be happy. That's crazy. 
But in their mindset, I mean, he was probably getting so discouraged. He was probably getting so frustrated. And Sarah, the Bible says, herself was getting frustrated because after, you know, the promise wasn't coming around and everybody else, you know, around them is having children, she eventually said, just have it with my servant. And that sounds crazy to us, but in that culture, that was normal for a man to carry on his lineage. If the wife wouldn't be able to do it, she would use her servant. But that was his deep disappointment in God. But yet he teaches us that he had faith again. Can I tell you that when you fail in faith, you can get back up again and try? You see, when he failed in faith and he was afraid of what men were saying and he was afraid of being alone and he was afraid of being disappointed because, you know, it wasn't going to work out, we get back up. Somebody say, fight the fight of faith. Amen. And then here's how Abraham is viewed in the New Testament. Abraham is viewed as the father of the Jewish people and ancestor to Jesus, Matthew 1, 2. He then is the greatest example of faith in God for salvation above law and good works. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, which we're going to get into for the message. He is foremost example of waiting patiently for multiple promises to come to pass. Hebrews 11. He has not even seen a nation. He's only seen a child, yet he died in faith believing that it would happen. And is there a nation of Israel today because of what God did through Abraham? Did a Messiah come and become the sacrifice of the world because of what God did through Abraham. Can I hear an amen? Now, if you're ready for the message, look to your neighbor and say, here comes the message. Amen. That was the second introduction. Now open up your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 3. And would you put that up there, please, Andrew? I'll try to get this done before 12. I got faith. Does anybody else have faith we can do this? Amen. The notes are on Facebook. And if you don't have a Facebook, somebody can email them to you. And if you don't have an email, what's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? No, I'm kidding. Galatians chapter 3, half kid. Galatians chapter 3, 1 through 14 is our message today about Abraham. I hope that you've learned something about him, and now I believe God will give some inspiration and revelation to your heart through his life and what practically we can gain from him. Paul is writing the book of Galatians. He's an apostle in the New Testament. To those who are living in Galatia, it's a New Testament city, one of his church plants. And the problem that they have there is that Jewish people are getting saved and they're continuing in the same laws that they did as Jewish people but now with Christ. And they're called Judaizers. Can everybody say Judaizers? Thank you. So what they're telling to non-Jewish people as they're getting saved, they're telling them, you've got to keep the Sabbath and go to church on Saturday like we do because we're Jews. Jesus was a Jew. You've got to keep the, the dietary laws because Jesus did. And you've got to get circumcised. And all of this was causing confusion to the pagan believers who are just simply believing in Jesus. Some may say faith alone. Amen. And he rebukes them in chapter 1. He lays off a little bit in chapter 2. And in chapter 3, he drops it like it's hot right there. You foolish Galatians. Hello. Aren't you glad you got a good pastor, amen, that talks to you like that every now and then? How many have ever been talked to like that by a good pastor? Looking at some of our leaders here. Hey, man, I got a good pastor. He calls me foolish. Well, that's what Paul did. Hey, man, I'm being nice. Here we go. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you or cast a spell on you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. 
I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Now look at verse 6. Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Everybody say children of Abraham. Amen. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, those are non-Jews, by faith and announce the gospel. Somebody say the gospel. Thank you. In advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Somebody say the man of faith. Amen. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue and everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Let's say that together. One, two, three. The righteous will live by faith. One more time. The righteous will live by faith. Thank you. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us. Somebody say, he redeemed us. Us. Come on, say it like you're up this morning. He redeemed us. Amen. In order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith, somebody say by faith, thank you, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The example that we're given today by Abraham is that Abraham was not considered righteous. Righteous meaning right with God, doing the right things in accord with God's will. He was not considered right because of all the things he did. The law of Moses came almost 100, uh, 400 years after Abraham that gave the people of Israel 613 commandments that taught them dietary laws, that taught them worship and practical laws, civil laws, priestly code laws, laws of how to go to war. All of these laws were given to them, mostly in the book of Deuteronomy, and these laws were 613 altogether. And what God is saying is that Abraham was considered right with God before there ever was such a law. I want you to listen to how encouraging that is for those of you who don't follow 613 laws. Is there anybody here on 598? You're getting close. Let's keep it real. You don't do it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says they didn't do it very well either. Now as we get to this discussion of the law, the first thing that many people want to say in our generation is that then the law of Moses was somehow bad and wicked and evil. But the writer of Romans and the writer of Hebrews, Paul for Romans and the mystery writer for Hebrews, rebukes that concept and David in Psalms 119 reiterates the love for the law. So therefore the law wasn't the problem, it was the law breakers. How many know it's not the speed limit's fault? You keep going over the speed limit. Hello, it's that lead foot. It ain't the speed limit's fault, baby. Oh, I think we got a policeman behind us. Well, just drive the speed limit. There won't be one behind you, amen? Then pull you over, coming all late to church. Where were you? I got pulled over. Telling on myself now. Gotten pulled over going to church. Yes, I have. 
My parents will tell you, I've gotten so many tickets, but it ain't the speed limit's fault. It's the lawbreaker, me breaking the law. Are you following? So then we develop in our modern day and age what is called as antinomianism. Everybody say antinomianism. Nomos is Greek for law. So now we begin to say, well, praise God, I'm not under 613 laws. I'm like Abraham. I'm free to do whatever I want. And if I sin, I can be forgiven. And as a matter of fact, the more I sin, the more he forgives. The more I sin, the more he forgives. I make him out to be a good savior because he will forgive a whole lot of sin. And then Paul said, God forbid we live that way. We are redeemed from the law of Moses, 613 laws, to now be under the law of Christ, which Paul describes in Galatians chapter 5. The law of Christ is summarized in loving God and loving people. And when you read the book of 1 John, it describes it in detail about how love is the motivation to following the commands that come from Jesus. But the encouragement here that Paul is bringing up comes in three parts, and I want to give it to you quickly in closing today. My message will be shorter than my introductions. Number one, Christians can be tricked or bewitched into believing a different gospel. Evangelion in the Greek gospel meaning good news. You can be tricked as a Christian, as the Galatians were, into believing a different message, which is a message of works, rather than a message of faith, a gospel of faith. When the gospel came to you, if you heard it correctly, the gospel said, believe upon Jesus and you shall be saved. Anybody hear a gospel like that? Repent of your sins and you shall be forgiven. But why is it now we as Christians begin to hear this as our gospel? Stop sinning, stop smoking, stop drinking, stop doing this. And now we begin to equate these laws that come from the law of Christ, which I believe if you look at the New Testament teachings of Jesus, there's about 100 commands that he gives us that are summarized in loving God, loving people. But over time, even the best of us can begin to take these 100 laws and substitute them for the message of salvation. And that, my friend, is another gospel. I am not telling you stop drinking and then you'll be saved. Stop cheating on your wife, then you'll be saved. Because that gives the impression that somehow you're just a bad person and if you do good, you can be saved. You are not hearing the right gospel. He did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. You cannot rehabilitate yourself and become clean. The idea we get then is that salvation is somehow a car wash, and if I help God and get myself clean, then I will be clean. No, you come as you are, dirty, filthy, wretched, miserable, and blind, and only by the blood of Jesus are you saved. Do not let anybody switch to you the gospel with a false gospel. Now, does that mean that there are now no evidences of our salvation. I love what Leonard Ravenhill said. If you're saved, what are you saved from? Because you seem to talk the same, walk the same, act the same. If you say you're saved, you should have evidence. So what does that mean? If I am truly saved, I should be saved from vulgarity, saved from perversion, saved from the less of the flesh, able to walk holy before God. Are you listening? 
So the true gospel message says you are dead, but now come alive and live by that spirit so you can be holy and perfect before God. And we talked about that last week and uh, the weeks before about how Christ perfects our salvation. And if you notice in this example of Galatians chapter 3, he says that the one who is in the system of the law can never keep them all. Therefore, he comes under a curse. Read Genesis, uh, Deuteronomy 27 and 28. It says if you break the these laws, you're under a curse. So Jesus redeemed us from that curse. Why would we want to go back to it? Let me give you a scripture that I think says this better than any other scriptures. Quickly, I'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Because we are not antinomianists that, don't, that say there is no more requirements after a Christian has become a Christian. But what we are saying is that to become a Christian, it is not by your good works. Therefore, those of you who think you're too jacked up or too messed up, can't get saved, you actually don't understand the gospel because all of us are jacked up without Christ. Amen? That's right. I said that. you got to believe that. Ephesians 2, verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You are saved by God's grace. So everyone here, stop making excuses about why you can't be saved. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and be saved, and he will save you fully. And verse 10 then says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When you are recreated in Christ, you're recreated with a new attitude. Live like it. You're created with a new heart. Keep it pure. Don't give it to Nene or to Bobo, whoever you call that dude. Keep it holy. Amen? The second point that we learn is that Abraham is the Christian's example of faith because before the law of Moses or the Jewish nation, as a pagan, he places full trust in God by believing the gospel. When he, knew, when he was there hearing these promises, he believed it. And then when he was asked to sacrifice his son, he believed it and did it. And then when the son was spared and the angel came, which we believe is Jesus, and said, don't do it, I myself, Jehovah Jireh, the name is revealed, I will provide the lamb myself. What we see when Abraham believed believed it, it was counted as righteousness. And the question I want to ask you to you is, do you believe the gospel and all the promises that it entails? Do you believe that there's a heaven? Do you believe that heaven can come onto this earth? Without, uh, let heaven, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you believe that God can raise up your children in such a way that when they're old, they will not depart? Do you believe that when you work hard and diligently unto Christ, you will be rewarded in this world on your job and all that you do? Do you place God at the heart of your marriage that when you husbands love your wife as Christ does the church and the women submit to their husbands as they, they do unto the, to the Lord do you trust God with your marriage your family because when Abraham did that he showed us that that is what is righteous the Bible says he believed in God he put his faith in God and it was accounted to him as righteous trusting God in the midst of your storms is righteous you may not see your reward today. You may not see the miracle happen today, but simply having the faith is righteous. I just got to stop here just for a few seconds. Do you understand this? When we go through troubles, normally we want to see the response, the miracle, to see the payoff, to know that our faith was right. But didn't Abraham have to wait to see a payoff? And in, and in honesty, did he really see the fullness of the payoff? He really didn't see it all, did he? But yet he had faith anyway. It's easy to have faith for God to pay your bills on payday. Woo, God is good. But what are you going to do when the car breaks down? 
And an extra expense came into your life. See, keeping faith at those times is righteous. And you may say, but it doesn't seem like it changes anything. It doesn't seem like this faith makes a difference. It does. It is righteous before God. You're living the way he commanded you to. Let me give you another example. When we live morally before God in what we call integrity. Integrity is what you do when no one is looking. You see, hypocrisy is what you do when somebody is looking, but integrity is what you do when nobody is looking. See, God has set standards for us as men, and let's say for men, God said don't look at pornography. And so you get in accountability groups, and you tell everybody, I don't look at pornography, but on your own, you do. You're a liar and you're a hypocrite. What you're doing is wicked. But let's say now by yourself, you, you honestly fight against that urge. You walk in faith. You believe that greater is he that's in you, that's in the world. You believe that that's sexually impure and God made you pure. You don't want to defile your temple. You stand on the word of God. And let's say nobody ever asks you. Let's say there's never a place to boast in front of other men. How long has it been, brother? It's been 10 years, 200 days, and 5 hours. Let's say you never get to boast about it. Was it still right? Was it still right to have integrity? Let's say you're on your job and telling the truth is going to cost you something. Maybe you messed up for the third time. And they say, if you do it the third time, we're going to demote you. We're going to have a talk with you. And, and you're, you're tempted to blame it on somebody else and shift blame. But at that time, you want to be a person of integrity. You want to admit it. See, that's righteous. See, Abraham, though he fell, he got back up and he lived a righteous life. Why? Because he was a man of faith. Number three in closing, all those who have the same kind of faith as Abraham are blessed with Abraham and are given the promise of the Spirit. Would you open up to Galatians 3.14 as you stand? And as the band comes, we're going to close out today. Would you stand with me turning to Galatians 3.14? How many enjoyed God's Word today? Can I hear an amen? amen. Woo, slap somebody, high five, and say it's tight, but it's right. Amen. I believe, God, that we can see more clearly the promises than we ever have before as a church and as individuals. And I want you to see this scripture. It says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing gave, given to Abraham might come on the Gentiles. If you are a non-Jewish person by birth, nationality, you are not able to trace your ancestry to Israel or to Judaism, would you raise your hand with me today? That means you're a Gentile like me. Come on. This is talking to us, isn't it? I could keep you here all day talking about the miracle of God doing something for Gentiles and not just Israelites, and that's another story. But the Bible says because of Jesus, when we have this faith, the blessing of Abraham now comes to Gentiles so that it's by faith we receive the promise of the Spirit. And turn to Genesis 12 now, and I want to show you the blessing of Abraham because I want to speak it over your life. I want you to speak it over your family's life. I want you to speak it over my life. That by the Spirit of God today, we'll be like Abraham. If I said my father was Arnold Schwarzenegger, you guys probably wouldn't believe me. Like, no, you, no, son, you don't look like your daddy. But if I say that handsome man right over there, where did he go? To the bathroom? Look at that. That's my dad. There he is. If I say that's my dad, how many can believe that? Because I look like my dad, don't I? Praise God. I look just like 66 years old. If I can look that good, I'd be awesome. My mom is 69, soon to turn 70. Amen. That's the blessing of the Lord. 
We're, we're said to be children of Abraham when we have the faith of Abraham. How many of you look like Father Abraham today? Not on the exterior, but by the blessings of God in your life. And when I mean by blessing, I don't mean counting up money like we're at the gambling table. Money is not necessarily always a blessing. Some of you getting a lot of money would ruin your life. Having your bills paid, taking care of your family, that's bless somebody. Come on. If you have more than that, share it. Amen. We won't hate. Just we'll celebrate. Take us out to dinner today. I want you to look at the scripture. The Lord said to Abram, this is the blessing. Leave your country. Leave your people. Your father's household. And go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. Does anybody believe that counts for them today? I will make your household a great house. I will make your business a great business. I will make your marriage a great marriage. My friends, I'm not here to hype you up into some fanaticism. I'm here to preach the word. When we have the faith of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham comes to us. And we have to walk through it like Abraham. That's why I told you his ups, his downs, his mistakes. Because we all have got our own journey, baby. And we've got our own things to let go of and our own things to deal with. But we can look to him and say, God, if you kept your word to Abraham, you'll keep your word to me. He said, I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. What do people think of when they hear your name? Oh, that's, that's Sister Sassy. That's brother attitude. That's, that's Mr. Lazy on the job. Don't ask him. Or, or that's, sister, I'm going to push it off to somebody else. You know, How do people in the world, how do people around you think about your name? The Bible says God can make our name great so that his name can be great. When you get a promotion on your job and you do well and you give glory to God, I don't care if you're serving hamburgers at McDonald's. That gives glory to God. From the person downtown to the person just working a job that nobody knows about, God will make our names great because we need to find our place in life and be great at what God called us to do. He says, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse you. That's why the Bible says you don't got to fight your own battles. If people come against you on the job or family members talk about you, you don't have to try to get on their level because you know what? Pigs love to get dirty. Are you understand what I'm saying? And if you act like a pig, you'll get dirty just like them. But here's the difference. A pig likes being dirty. See, you'll go on their level, you'll get dirty with them, and you'll be feeling all grieved in your heart. Like, Man, I shouldn't have yelled, I should have got upset. But the pig is like, oh, I love it, I'll do it all day, because messy people cause messes. Let God fight your battles, amen? And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Do you know that every single one of us have the Spirit, because we're, if we're born again, we have the Spirit, and the seed of the gospel resides in us. So how we leave a legacy is better than Trump's buildings, better than the Taj Mahal. How we leave legacies is through the kingdom of God. When you preach to someone and help them find Christ, when you use the life that God's given you as an example, you are literally changing the world. And it will remain a lot longer than buildings made of brick and sand. Are you all listening? Amen. Can we just raise up our hands to Jesus and say, Lord, bless me like you blessed Abraham. Oh, God, would you give us faith? It's okay to ask for faith, but I want to encourage you with your hands raised. You know how you can increase in faith? The Bible says in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you ever face discouragement in your faith, read the word again. Stand on his promises. 
But with your hands raised and as altar workers are coming, would you just surrender to God your life, your troubles, your mistakes, and believe today that the same God of Abraham, the same one who started and finished his faith, will do the same in you? Today the Bible says in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to finish it unto the day of Christ. Come on, hands raised, 30 more seconds. Talk to the Lord. If you haven't yet accepted him, you need to. Come on, he'll give you the new life. You can't change yourself first. Some people say, well, I'm going to change myself, then come to church, or then the altar call. That's like washing your car and bringing it to the car wash. You can never make your car clean enough, friends. Come to Jesus. For those of you who have a, a family or a husband or wife, children, I want you just to pray blessings right now. Those of you employed and working, come on, pray blessings over all that you do today. May the blessing of Abraham come on us. Jesus, would you bless us? Bless our families. Make our name great for your name's sake. Would you use us to be world changers, history makers, God? Now in closing, search your heart. Are there any fears in your heart today? Any failures to trust God? Come on, just with hands raised. It's a Holy Ghost stick up. Come on, surrender. Just throw up your hands and say, God, I give up my fear. Trying to work this out my way. Fear of loneliness, holding on to people I shouldn't be holding on to. Fear of disappointment, God. Always wondering if you're going to keep your word. I confess my fears unto the Lord. And now say, I receive a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. I receive a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. I rebuke the spirit of fear. I rebuke what the devil has said. The devil is a liar. Let God be true. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I receive the power of the Holy Spirit. I receive a sound mind. My mind is set on Christ set on heavenly things my mind is guarded by the peace that passes understanding I believe I believe that there is a joy set before me I will not grow weary I will not faint I will look unto Jesus come on just praise him now come on somebody praise him I believe I will make it I will not faint I will not faint I will not faint Although the youth get tired, though the men grow weary, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings of eagles. Hallelujah. They will walk and not grow weary. They will run and not grow faint. Somebody wait on Jesus. Somebody wait on the Lord. Come on, you got to put your trust on Jesus. Would you wait on him? He may not come when you want him or when you think he should show up. But he's never late. He's always on time. Somebody wait on him. Wait on Jesus. Somebody thought about giving up today. Don't give up. Wait on Jesus. Somebody got discouraged this week because you preached and then somebody didn't get saved. Wait on Jesus. Souls are coming. Somebody was going to give up because you prayed for healing and you didn't see it yet. Wait on Jesus. Hold on to his word. He will provide. He will heal. He is our shepherd. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
We're waiting on you, God. We're waiting on Jesus. I'll count the stars if I get depressed. I'll count the sand because you said as many as they are is as many as you'll bless me with, God. I will not lose hope. Woo! These three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I will love you. I will love you. I trust you that you won't abandon me. You won't leave me. Woo! Faith comes from love. Woo! If you believe it's true for you today, will you give them a hand clap of praise? Amen. Would you hold somebody's hand next to you? Let's close out in prayer. These altar workers are going to be here to pray with you for any need that you want to ask God for in faith. They'll agree with you. Father, I thank you for everyone in this church today. I pray you bless their life. Help them to wait on you, to keep their faith in you, God. Bless their family and their children's children. And let us all come back to this place with the testimony of what you've done in us and through us. Bless us to be a blessing in Jesus' name. If you believe it, can you shout hallelujah one more time. Hallelujah! Woo! Slap somebody high five and say keep the faith. If you need prayer, come up. Otherwise, you're dismissed. We'll see you this week at Life Groups. Come on, keep the faith. God bless you. Your love, and I'll never 